Our first reading this morning is from the book of Lamentations in the third chapter. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is the word of our Lord. Our epistle reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians in the 8th chapter. Now we make known to you, brothers, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, that with a great ordeal of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the extreme depth of their poverty have overflowed to the wealth of their generosity. I testify that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability by their own choice requesting of us with much exhortation the favor and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that just as he had previously begun it, thus he would also complete for you this act of grace. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, and in speaking, and in knowledge, and with all diligence, and in the love from us that is in you, so may you excel in this grace also. I'm not saying this as a command, but proving the genuineness of your love by means of the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, in order that you, by his poverty, may become rich. For this is not that for others there may be relief and for you difficult circumstances, but as a matter of equality. At the present time, your abundance will be for their need, in order that their abundance may also be for your need, so that there may be equality, just as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I just realized there's a slightly different translation of what was up there and what we had here. It's all right. Uh, as you're able, would you please rise for the gospel reading? Our gospel this morning is from Mark's gospel in the fifth chapter. And after Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered to him, and he was beside the sea. And one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell down at his feet. And he was imploring him many times, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she will get well and will live. And he went with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing around him. And there was a woman who was suffering from hemorrhages 12 years. 
And she had endured many things under many physicians and had spent all that she had and had received no help at all, but instead became worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she was saying, if I had touched just his clothing, I will be healed. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she realized in her body that she was healed of her suffering. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from himself, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothing? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing upon you, and you say, who touched me? And he was looking around to see the one who had done this. So the woman, frightened and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. But he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be well from your suffering. While he was still speaking, they came from the synagogue ruler's house saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher further? But Jesus, ignoring what was said, told the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he did not allow anyone to follow along with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you agitated and weeping? This child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they began laughing at him. But he sent them all out and took along the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking hold of the child's hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began walking around, for she was 12 years old. And immediately there were uh, utterly, and they were utterly and completely astonished. And he commanded them strictly that no one should learn of this and said to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I'd like to invite and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning where you have called us together to hear your word and to receive your gifts. We pray that you would work by your spirit. Open our hearts and ears and minds to hear what you would have us hear. Knowing of your love for us in Christ, we pray that you remove distractions from our hearts and minds. That you would work by your Holy Spirit in this time. In your precious Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jairus, sandals, whatever, of Jairus for just a little bit. I mean, think about this. All the things that Jesus had been doing, he had been teaching around uh, Galilee. He had been teaching around the north end of the sea. He had been healing people. He had been casting out demons. He had been teaching parables. Uh, he had just left the shore and headed south across to the other side, to the Gentile area, right? This whole time, Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, again, remember you're in his sandals, has a daughter lying sick in bed. She's 12, right on that verge of becoming an adult in the Jewish culture, right on that verge of possibly marrying in the next months to a couple of years, a whole life ahead of her, and she's lying sick to the point of death, Jairus says, right? Your child lying there 
needing help, needing help of some sort. And as Jairus heads out, he sees Jesus leave the shoreline, headed off to a place where a Jewish teacher really shouldn't be heading, down to a Gentile area. Little did Jairus know that Jesus was going to walk in and amongst a cemetery, amongst pigs, have a conversation with demons, cast those demons out, heal the man and restore him, and then head back up into the Jewish area, head back up into the homeland. You can almost imagine being in Jairus' sandals, right, kind of pacing, waiting. When is Jesus going to come back? When is he going to return to the shore? When is this guy who has healed others going to be here so that I could call upon him and have him come heal my daughter, your daughter, waiting there in bed? growing sicker, more lethargic, weaker. You can imagine the the hope, the angst, everything going on inside Jairus as he's waiting for this guy who has healed others to come. So as soon as he hears that Jesus' feet have landed on the shore, as soon as you hear those words, he's like, he's back. I need to go talk to him. And as you head out to go see this rabbi and go basically worship before him, lay down at his feet and say, you have a power greater than any of us. You have a power to heal. Come, lay your hands on my daughter. Be there in her presence. Restore her health. Bring her back to me, please. And Jesus doesn't even pause. He says, let's go. Imagine that excitement. It's not a far way from the shore to where the synagogue would be, especially on that north end right there. The towns are right there on the shoreline. It's a fishing community. There's a lot that's right there by the shoreline. It's not a far walk at all. able to get there in almost a moment's notice, except there's this crowd. A huge crowd, a crowd that's pressing in so tightly that movement is hard. It's traffic on the 405 or the 78 at like 3.30. It's terrible. You're not going anywhere. Or It doesn't really matter which freeway, the 15 north out of here, the 78 west or east. It's not moving. The folks are just stuck. And if you were to look at a picture of the town, you would see why this is. Because in between each house, you really have about two people's worth of width in between the walls. As the houses are built and you would walk in at a lower level, but all the walls of the houses around, you could get pretty much an animal in a cart and that was about it. Now imagine a few hundred people trying to walk through that path and get through that path and all get to Jesus. The walking is going slow. Daughter is growing sicker. And then someone sneaks up. Someone sneaks up from in and amongst the crowd, another woman, another woman who had heard of Jesus, another woman who had been cast out of society for as long as your daughter has been alive and then now sick in bed. This woman has been dealing with a disease, dealing with a hemorrhaging, dealing with a sickness and dealing with issues that have cast her out of society, that have kept her outside of the you know, clean areas of the town. She couldn't go hear God's word in the synagogue. She couldn't spend time with any of her family. She's a daughter of somebody, but hasn't been able to be home. She also heard of Jesus. 
comes making her way through this crowd, which she probably wasn't supposed to be in the midst of to begin with. She says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just hold on to the hem of his garment for a moment, I know that that would even heal me. And so as they're going through this crowded alleyway and as you as Jairus are leading Jesus and trying to kind of drag him along, all of a sudden Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples say, you've got to be kidding me. You see all the people around you, Jesus, and yet you ask who touched me? How can we figure that out? There's probably 40 people that just touched you in the last two minutes. Like, there's no way we can figure out that. Why do you want to know who touched you anyway? But he was insistent. Who touched me? Who is the one that I could feel the power go out from me? Who is the one that was just restored? Who is the one that had just come through? And I love those moments that we get to see kind of the humanness of Jesus. Yes, he's absolutely God and wholly divine. But also the beautiful human questions of just, what was that? Who touched me? And as the woman comes closer, knowing that she has to fess up because she knows things have been changed within her as well, but as she comes in and knows that she has to share this truth now with them and kind of own up to everything, she falls at his feet as well. Not really in the same way as you, as Jairus did. Jairus fell in a way that was almost worshipful and worshiping Jesus as he laid prostrate before him. This one was more just falling at his feet in guilt. And saying, it was me. Do what you will at this point. I mean, she was guilty of being in a place where she shouldn't have been. According to the law, could have been stoned, killed, cast out once again. And she lays everything out before Jesus. Meantime, you're still waiting. You're waiting as Jesus is having this whole conversation with this woman. And you know your daughter is getting sicker as she's laying in bed in the house. You know you got to get Jesus there because he's got to go touch her, right? So Jesus continues this conversation with this woman the whole time. A little anxiety, a little nervousness is going on, wondering whether or not your daughter is still okay. You don't get to text home and see if anything's okay. You're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. As this woman had been waiting for 12 years, suffering under physicians, Nothing helping, only growing worse and getting sicker, and the problems persisting. Twelve years worth of waiting. Maybe half of her life. At least most of her adulthood. Not able to be part of the society or married or anything. And as she falls down before Jesus and he looks at her and he calls her something that she hasn't heard for a really, really long time. Daughter. You know your daughter's still sick back at home, but here's this guy looking down and saying, daughter, get up. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed. What beautiful words for her to hear. But what hard words is you know your daughter is still laying sick at home. And then while Jesus is still speaking to her and fawning, maybe not fawning, but you know, speaking over this daughter and pronouncing wholeness and peacefulness and healing and restoration over this daughter, you get the words. 
Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Again, Jesus doesn't wait. Let's go. So they head over to the house. And as you're walking in, you see the people already mourning the commotion going on. This daughter is dead. And you wonder whether or not Jesus can still do anything. So to hear those beautiful words of Jesus, don't worry, only believe. Keep believing. You knew that if I was here, I could do something about it. I'm here now. Keep believing. And as Jesus walks in with mom and dad, the three disciples he brings with her, holds on to the hand of your daughter, speaks gentle words of, little girl, get up. After telling everybody, you know, she's only sleeping. And they're like, no, she's not. She's dead. He says, no, no. Watch. Little girl, get up. Rise up. Life restored again. Can you imagine Jairus' excitement? Can you imagine Jairus' wonder that it wasn't just a healing that Jesus was able to do, but an actual resurrection from the dead? A life brought back into a dead body, a life restored so that this little girl would now have a full life ahead of her, that this little girl would now grow up, become the woman that Jairus, had, oh, that you as Jairus, had always wanted her to be. To be able to grow up into a life and experience more days and more years ahead, restored and part of the community once again. As Jesus took on the uncleanliness down in the garrisons with the demoniac, as Jesus took on the uncleanliness of the lady who came and touched him, as Jesus took on the uncleanliness of death, only to hand back out life. No more waiting for the woman. No more waiting for Jairus and his daughter. All of them alive as Jesus had taken those worries off of them, as they no longer had to wait anymore to see what they wanted fulfilled. Life restored. The life promised, given back to them. And we wait. We wait for a lot of things, and sometimes we don't really want to wait. We don't want to wait for a loved one who's sick to be healed. We don't want to wait for financial things to be worked out. We don't want to wait for loved ones who we see who may be distant from the word or distant from church or distant from God. We don't want to wait for them. We want to see them restored and brought back close to the truth of Jesus and his promises. We don't want to wait all the time for Christ to come back. We don't want to wait for him to restore all things. We don't want to wait to be with our loved ones who have gone ahead of us in faith. We don't want to wait for that day. We want it now, yet we still have to wait. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus' promises are absolutely true. That his forgiveness for you is absolutely true. That God's love for you shown in Christ is absolutely true. You don't have to wait for that promise or that word. That word is yours. It, that word was poured over you in your baptism. That word is what grounds you in life. And that word is what gives you the hope to be able to wait for the day that Christ comes back. Because God's promises, though we have not seen them fully realized yet in the coming of Christ, we know that that promise is absolutely true in yours now. Because it's that promise that has already started that life and eternity in you. 
It's that promise that has already started that life in the resurrection in you. As God has given you of His Holy Spirit, as God guides you to the truth of Christ, as God holds on to you in the grip of His grace and mercy. You don't have to wait for that. That's yours now. You get it placed in your hands when you receive communion. You get it spoken into your ears when you hear forgiveness. You get to know right now and in this time and place that God's promises for you are true and certain and are not changing. So there's some things that we'll have to wait for. But you don't have to wait for the love of God. That's yours and always will be. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us. That though we feel we have to wait for so many things in life, we pray you give us the patience to wait for the good things that you have. That we would not rush ahead of your timing, but that we would hold on and look to live in a patient waiting, knowing that you love us, that you have shown us that in Christ, and that you hold on to us until the day comes that Christ comes back. We pray you continue to be with us. Guide us by your spirit that all the things that we do to love those around us, that they would all glorify you. In your son Jesus' precious name, we praise and thank you. Amen.